Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies! It's a very simple formula! And here we go. Dedicated listeners will know around this time in October, we were talking Freeform's 31 Nights of Halloween. And a few times I've talked about the other big marathon, skipping the pre-marathon marathon and going to the toted 25 Days of Christmas. And this may come as a surprise, but I wasn't really feeling that this time just yet. That will be next week, and I'm guaranteeing next week for sure, when I can really dive into all the holiday classics in this marathon. I can tell you already, no elf on it this year. It's about as scary as you can imagine. But this past weekend, starting around Thanksgiving, I was hungry for something else beside canned cranberry sauce. What is it, you ask? Well, a new scary movie franchise to dive on into. And going through my HBO Max, it hit me. The franchise I had pondered and almost watched about four years ago, give or take, just casually on cable TV. It slapped me right in the face. It's the Alien franchise, Ripley, Xenomorphs, and Michael freaking Fassbender. There were enough fun things to get me to dip my toe in and look closely at that wet egg of a film franchise. Shout out Rick and Morty. Look, this is still a very well-known franchise. Even to this day, there are tons of pop culture references. So even just getting caught up with the going-ons of pop culture, I had to watch them. Yeah, I did not touch the Alien vs. Predator stuff yet. But I do know they're supposed to be garbage, probably not unlike Freddy vs. Jason. And I do want to do the Predator series eventually too. So far I've only seen the new one also on HBO Max. So that is the why. Now let's get into the what of this episode. And everything is available on HBO Max except for the last one, which is available to rent for about 4 bucks on Amazon Prime. So at least I can get most of it for my monthly subscription and the equivalent of a Wendy's combo meal. So the first off, the first film, Alien, coming out in 1979. Wow, cinematically with all the tech and special effects, it's so different and dated, but this film never really feels that way. The sci-fi horror movie stars Sigourney Weaver. I pretty much know her from these, the short-lived Defenders Netflix show, which I've never fully paid attention while watching. I feel like I've split attention, watched it at least twice, but eventually I have to just sit down and actually watch to see if the Defenders is good or not, and of course, the Ghostbusters soon-to-be trilogy. I can't say I'm, like, super knowledgeable about the rest of the actors in this, but everyone was good. Ian Holm was great as a surprise android, which has, of course, become a staple of the franchise, and Tom Skerritt as Captain Dallas both stood out to me. Of course, the best part was the cat Jonesy, the best cat in cinema since Goose in Captain Marvel, and yes, of course, I know, Goose is actually a flurkin, an alien that would actually feel right at home in this alien franchise. This is also the only movie of all six that had an actual actor playing the alien, no puppetry or CGI for this creature in any capacity. This is less action sci-fi horror and more sci-fi horror. It is more in common with a Halloween than a World War Z Blade or Purge movie. It's a slow, methodical build. Another slow burn. Normally I really like those, but I can't say I was feeling it to start. It was a real slow burn this time around. The cast was fun enough. Some had more personality than others, but in general it was a fun little group. Something kind of fun watching more and more, especially watching for the first time, 
knowing something was going to go wrong, but not really sure how. The crew is exploring this large alien area. It's a derelict ship, I think is the word they use. And there's a mysterious distress call. Ooh. Even though our main character is not with the group, we quickly realize she is the smartest of the bunch. When we see these eggs, we know what's about to go down. I guess researchers and scientists in the horror genre, they have to make things for the sake of making them. Or look way too close or hard at something that may be like a diseased thing or hostile. Like, come on, man. And the facehugger breaks through the helmet and latches right onto one of their faces. I mean, oh boy, it was a... I don't know if it was a jump scare, but because I kind of knew it was coming, but you know, pretty scary, I guess, for the time after all. Seeing the first moment with an actual alien moment and all those things that feel now staples of the franchise, the acid blood and more fun, just gross things. It is fun watching this for the first time, seeing Ash calculating quiet self, not thinking too much about it in all honesty and watching this in 2020. It hits a little bit different when Ripley says, listen to me, if we break quarantine, we could all die. I mean, that alone, maybe it was worth the wait. And this specifically was the right time to open myself to let the franchise into my heart. Or to put it in other words, more in tune with the franchise. It burst right into my chest. (laughs) So I saw the joke chestbuster scene in Spaceballs way before I saw this movie. In one moment, the thing is on his face, and then it isn't. But when we do actually see it happen, even today, it's like, oh crap, that is pop right on out there. I do like when this movie becomes super serial killer stalker-like, very Halloween. The gore is good, not wild, but still very good. And more so, this is like, this movie really gives you that sense of uneasiness that is very much lost in the other movies. You're looking for the alien in every scene, trying to think if you see something moving on the back wall that's blended in with the darkness. Something that feels right at home with the updated Elizabeth Moss Invisible Man movie. You just were looking to see if that breath or that curtain was moving or if it was just the wind or if it was the guy in the suit. I mean, who knows, right? The one scene I almost watched through on AMC had Brett, the fun shirt-wearing engineer looking for Jonesy, the cat, the protagonist of our film. And I saw the cat and the guy looking, but never what happened. Spoiler alert, but no surprise, he dies. I can't say I know the work of Tom Skerritt, excluding Top Gun, who was Captain Dallas in this movie, but he was great in the role. And if I did not previously know Ripley and Sigourney Weaver was clearly the star of the franchise, I would have thought maybe he would have made it through the whole film. A ton of movies have a few people survive. Scream. Jason Goes to Space, maybe the latest Halloween trilogy, time will tell, but his death had to be super surprising watching it in theaters at that time. But all these characters are memorable, maybe not all fully developed, but definitely memorable. But the biggest shock has to be Ash going haywire, trying to study the alien and turning against the crew, and of course, being an android or synthetic at all. I think The rationale of that is he is a scientist trying to figure out what this thing is. So he sees a new species. He wants to observe it. And this group of human crew people is not really letting him do that, which is his primary function. So he's going to defend his primary function. I think that's the logic jump of why it happened. 
maybe. Well, I will always think of Laurie Strode and Sydney Prescott as my main final girls. I know n- neither was the first one. I think the whoever the Texas Chainsaw Massacre person was was like one of the earlier well-known ones but i don't know that movie might be a little too scary for me but you know we've been diving through these you never know maybe you know a month or two from now i'll be all about the texas chainsaw movies only time will tell but ripley has to be up there with these greats she's easily and early on shown to be one of the most capable and intelligent and when she is all alone she still finds a way to trick the alien to get it out of the airlock and even though the alien ends up attached to the ship which I thought it, like, used its tail, but when she used as a, like, harpoon gun, it ends up latching it on. But that doesn't stop her from firing off some engines and burning it alive. And importantly, saving Jonesy, fade to black. End the story. One thing I will note, I did not see the extended cut of this movie or the sequel, which apparently is actually, in this case, a little bit shorter but there's one really strong scene that should have always been included in every version. You never really see what happens to Brett and Dallas. Part of that could be leaving it up to your imagination. Part of that could be the special effects at the time. Who knows? You know they are dead. Or are they? But you see it with everyone else. Everyone else, you see how they die. But in the extended cut, you see them both cocoon. Dallas is still alive and Brett is dead and Dallas is begging for Ripley to kill him with her flamethrower gun, which she does. But adds a bit of closure to his character, it also shows and doesn't make us assume or imagine what happens, which I feel like is a phrase I say over and over and over again when I talk about extended cuts, for the most part, as opposed to the original theatrical versions. And it does give us one final moment with Dallas, which I obviously appreciate, but it adds a bit more emotional trauma to our final girl before she ultimately makes it through the horror that she experienced and now has to deal with all of that processing of trauma, which she gets to do in the sequel. Ridley Scott was the director of the first movie and did an awesome job. No one can say otherwise, I think. James Cameron was tasked with the sequel Aliens, both directing and writing, and Walking Dead producer extraordinaire Gail Ann Hurd is also part of this. She produces the two good shows in the Walking Dead universe. Yes, to all you Walking Dead haters out there, the original show is still great. I still think Fear is very underrated and should get more credit for being good. I am saying World Beyond is a bad show. I'll say this, I did finish the season one two-part finale last night. It felt a little better, but I don't know. It's still, I don't know. Am I going to finish it? Obviously. But I don't quite know if Worlds Beyond's ever going to do it for me. But maybe I'm not the right audience for it. Who knows? But back to the aliens. I have read so many mixed reviews on not so much the two movies. I think they're both critically acclaimed. But more so, which one do people consider better? Alien or Aliens? One thing it for sure did, it added some star power to the sequel with people I really know. Michael Bean from the Terminator series, the late Bill Paxton from Toonstone, and a brief stint on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Seemingly a ton of these people have ties to Terminator, which makes sense based on who is making the movie. One of the great ads was our new synthetic Bishop played by Lance Henriksen. I guess I know him from Quick and the Dead and Scream 3, but by no means are those his big films. That's just what I've seen him in. I also quite like the young girl Newt played by Carrie Henn, her only acting credit. Adding a kid into a horror movie will always raise the stakes. 
And she is actually somewhat capable as being the lone survivor on this colony for a while. But let's talk about the actual movie a bit more here. The movie takes place over half a century after the first one. And the movie came out seven years after the first one. So we think Ripley and Jonesy are both being saved. If it were not for the title, you would think that she would go on to live a happy life with no alien xenomorphs just being a happy enough cat lady. Nope. Her call to action to help out the colony that lost contact with the corporation of people that rescued her, and as much as she does not want to, the call to adventure draws her out by her trauma that she's dealing with, the need to help others also not face that same fear and trauma, leads her back into the saddle, this time with a hilarious amount of firepower and less developed, but insanely fun characters. And there are so many of them to make it fun as heck. Also, one quick point back to the call to action thing. There's a a principle that your hero never says yes the first time because it draws out the, oh, are they going to fight the call to adventure? Really, other than like the olden day westerns and like medieval night type movies, then just go off on adventure for the sake of it. The reluctant hero is always a little more relatable and more exciting. There's some writing rule about that. But back to what we're talking, this is the best way to describe this movie. It's scary at parts, sure, but it's predominantly a really fun, purest action horror movie. Ammo expenditure and wild action set pieces that would feel right at home in the Fast and Furious franchise. Tanks jumping off skyscrapers and being caught by planes, all this stuff. The quotes here are pure 80s cheddar, the best kind. My favorite, besides the iconic one, of course, get away from her, you bitch, is said by Private Vasquez and followed by some slow, methodical finger guns and tons of high fives and admiration from how cool the line was delivered. I only need to know one thing, insert finger guns, where they are. I laughed a ton through this movie, and the quotes were so good, and I feel like I hear the same thing about the original Predator, so I'm very excited to get into that eventually. What was potentially not funny? A new synth, and Ripley knows what could go down, and we as an audience are kind of, dare I say, programmed to not trust Bishop, because we know how well it worked in the last film with Ash. I do actually like that they briefly tease his... I don't want to say fighting powers. It's more of just things with actions and tools. Like he does the five finger fillet with a uh, knife, which is the thing where you put your hand on the table, you spread your fingers out and you kind of and see how fast you can go between your fingers. If you play the Red Dead Redemption franchise, which you obviously should, you there's a mini game for that. It's very challenging, but it's fun that they tease a little bit of not so much menace, but action with an android and you are very much led to believe at this point, don't trust androids. Ripley doesn't, and you know what happened last time, won't work this time. But away we go, hopefully fight some aliens and call on the exterminators. But sci-fi, especially sci-fi horror, is all about the folly of man and flying too close to the sun like Icarus. The same thing happens in Jurassic Park. And to the horror show we go. But the build-up is less suspense, maybe because we kind of know what to expect, maybe just because there's more levity going into it and the bravado of all the colonial marines who you can't help but love and i don't know if you're rooting for but once again you're having a good time watching this movie especially in the beginning so the most 
of the slow burn happens. We get in, and the Marines are kind of looking around the abandoned colony, which obviously should be a raising of concerns for just to start, right? Obviously, that's an issue. Wondering where everyone is. And most of these movies have some dumb decisions. And Ripley is normally there to tell them that, but usually no one listens until it's way too late. No exception here, as the area is cleared when they are in no way actually clearing it to send all of the non-military folk in. They do find some alien facehuggers in clearly science lab stuff. And it's like, damn it, Janet, with all these science projects with dangerous aliens, like, come on, man, knock it off with this ish. Let the face spewing baby makers, chest implosion species do them. They do them, you know, it is what it is and be super socially distant from them. Am I right? They do find Newt, too, the young girl surviving, and not necessarily thriving, but doing enough to get by on a mad alien planet, which, you know, is pretty good for a young child to do at all. A lot of things I've seen, especially when David Fincher took over in Alien 3, people didn't like Newt. This is mind-blowing to me. I like that it gives a mirror for Ripley to have her own trauma of her alien experience, And she actually, Newt, helps the crew get out because she's been navigating through all the air ducts and vents. And there's some super cute scenes with her. I remember there's a part where she kind of does a little cute little marine salute to one of the guys who's freaking out. Like I said, she was a great add to the film. I think it's mind-blowing that anyone would think otherwise. Seeing all the colonists cocoon, first off, would have been better with the extra scene in the first movie, knowing that this is that but on a much grander scale. But this leads to an amazing action set piece of aliens crawling all over the walls and a wild firefight that is the stuff of legends. So much good here. And you know with this much of a large cast, you have more characters you can kill, you know, kill off, kick rocks, get out of there, right? But damn those moments in this movie, so good. And we see a reluctant Ripley take charge and kick ass and take names here. Man, that first time I saw this scene... I couldn't take my eyes off the carnage. I was glued to the screen waiting for the next wild thing to happen. I also love how even with Burke, the businessman, clearly painted as the asshole, you never quite think he is a villain. Like Gennaro in Jurassic Park, and that first movie really makes you nervous for Bishop too, who also could be the villain. This android, to turn on everyone, you're waiting for that to happen, just like Ash in the first one. And Yeah, I'd get a little nervous that they'd be retreading things if you were thinking what's going to happen without knowing. But this is a very different movie than the first one, and they do subvert quite a few things with their very different tone. Before a very stressful scene where Ripley has to protect Newt, and Newt kind of holds her own against two facehuggers, and they didn't even have toothpicks like Summer in that Rick and Morty episode, because clearly, as we know from that, one toothpick stops all the facehuggers from coming at you. Because they can't latch on to your face if you got a toothpick. Skeevy scientist guy planned all this. He wants to smuggle them all aliened up. Thankfully, the Marines are hailed with a fire alarm. That Ripley does make happen. And they're able to save them. But quickly after, there are mad aliens. They're contact. They're breaching everywhere. We lose a ton of our main cast. Aliens coming through the ceilings, the vents, the floor, everywhere. Just when you think everyone's going to make it out, Nuke gets dropped, and Ripley has to go save her into some super sinister water, like, thing, creature rising from the Black Lagoon kind of thing. All while we're waiting, still, for Bishop to be the betrayer. 
not so fast. The real villain in this movie? A freaking alien queen. The stakes are elevated to 11, laying so many eggs like conveyor belt style. And there is some term for it. I don't know the nature term. This isn't a nature insect podcast. This is a movie podcast, so I don't have to know all the science, right? Come on, folks. We'll call it conveyor belt style. But I think they make this queen kind of intelligent, and that's a cool thing, because Ripley saves Newt from the cocoon wall, but before some alien comes together, they have a nice little firearm standoff. You know, it's not just two guys pointing guns at each other. It's Ripley's got her flamethrower maybe at the eggs, like, oh, well, you better watch out, you queenie, or I'm going to fire up all those eggs. But she has some aliens just chilling around like, okay, hold your horses, aliens, alien horses. Let's let her kick rocks and we'll get her later and maybe get them safe passage. But Ripley knows she can have her cake and eat it too because she's Ripley. She's a badass, you know, lady, (sighs) flamethrower and everything and punching aliens and cool stuff like that. And she lights those suckers up like it's the 4th of freaking July. And it looks like they've made it. Ripley has someone to live for, care for. Maybe there's some romance with this last Marine. And she's gone over her fear of since. But just when you think he might betray her at the end, and she's actually saying some very nice things about him. That's the sound of a alien thing going through his chest. That's what happened. Chest burst. Queen is chilling on the ship. And this is where the best franchise-defining moment happens. Ridley puts on the exosuit and she puts it back on, something that was clearly teased at the beginning of the movie that she knows how to move and groove in this thing. This scene is amazing. She pile drives that thing right out the airlock. And ripped in half, Bishop is able to hold on for dear life. I guess everything is made of greats in space and make sure Newt doesn't fly right on out. So everyone kind of does make it out happily ever after. It is my professional opinion to say the series ends here. If I was to buy these things, extended cut one, extended cut two, nothing else. Story ends. They all lived happily after at the end. You know, all four of these people and Josie back home, living their best lives in space and just chilling. That sounds like a nice ending to me. But as you can imagine, that is not the case. With two more movies that follow this, the recent ones are considered prequels, it's probably not going to be a happily ever after. But what happens after Aliens? Let me tell you, rubbish. Rubbish happens after Aliens. What a dumpster fire we have here. Looking at this cast list, besides Ripley, Charles Dance is here. I love that. Any chance for more Game of Thrones alums and things, the better we are for it. I know who Ralph Brown is, the pilot from Phantom Menace, and a nice turn in the AMC Revolutionary War spy drama turn, but he's pretty unrecognizable here. You know who isn't a part of this? Michael Bean and Newt, and for the most part, Bishop, but we will get to that part. So I guess some aliens made it on board the ship for the second, and they eject everyone and decide, let's clean house of these great developed characters. Sure, we can't off Ripley, but the rest of them? Kick rocks. Brutal and stupid decision. Hate, 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 hate. Hate it so much. But we still have Sigourney, so it can't be all bad, right? (laughs) Wrong. Also, no Jonesy ever mentioned. Justice for Jonesy. More cute cats in the Alien series. Disney, 
you have the future of the franchise in your hands. Bring back a clone of Jonesy or a new spiritual successor. Cats are all the rage post the horror show of Cats the movie musical. I mean, that new Spider-Man game with Miles Morales has Spider-Cat. Make this happen, Disney. So tangent over, back to this garbage movie. So she's alive from the crash and is on an old dude prisoner planet, which, if that sounds cool, to me this is at best mildly interesting for a setting. In actuality and practice, it's super boring. Do I love Charles Dance in this? Of course. Tywin Lannister, how could you not? He seems to aid Ripley. He's the only character who doesn't seem useless or creepy, and I'm all about him. And they tease his development and a dark backstory, like, so much. And his dispassionate autopsy of Newt to look for a potential alien in there. Like, he is super interesting of a character. But everyone else is like, ah, a woman, bad. Or, ah, this woman is insane. Aliens don't exist, you know? Like, it's very, very flat and very, very boring. Oh, you know what is bad here? A dog casualty. The alien becomes a dog alien. No good, bad move, Alien 3. So you know what's going to happen once with all male prison and Ripley. But while she has to get saved, I would rather her be able to fight this guys off by herself, solo. She has killed multiple xenomorphs at this point. These guys should be less than nothing to her badassness. But they want to make the narrative of some prisoners are bad. Some are good. That kind of thing in place. So we do see Ripley get a damaged bishop, which is nice to have a small moment with them both, especially because she has kind of gotten over her fear of androids in general. And some info that we already know as a viewer, but she needs to know it about where the aliens were and how it all happened. But we assume that it's the last and she'll see of him and she's alone again on this strange prison colony. So Ripley is kind of like Crazy Ralph and Final Girl in the story, all combined together. No one believes her until it's too late, and it's nice to have the stakes raised with no weapons, but it feels like that's a bad idea for a prison to have no weapons at all. I mean, yes, you don't want the revolt to happen, but also you may need them at some point. Also, stupid that we lose the Doctor, played by Charles Dance, so early since all the connections have been built up with him from the beginning and the prison buddies she has, it all feels, okay, they're there just to have people there and it cheap and unearned and just kind of lazy, super lazy writing. There is one good thing here. The iconic scene of the Xenomorph like smelling or licking her face and that happens right after she kills the doctor actually and it leaves because she has another alien hanging out inside her. That snapshot is iconic. But it leads to a big issue with the next two movies. Why is the alien so wet? Like Jason says he's going to Manhattan but mostly he's on a boat wet. He's just wet all the time for no real reason at all. And the aliens here are just wet all the time and gross. For seemingly no real reason again. Ripley does take charge. Which you know we're used to her doing now a couple times. Good. But only happens because the leader dies you know, immediately in front of everyone. Not because she asserts herself. Like she is a boss. Let her take charge because she should be in charge. So they have some big plans for lighting everything on fire. But of course idiot things happen and everyone gets burned by the plan. Literally burned. Like usual people love bioweapons here. It's the whole sci-fi thing. Like watch a Resident Evil movie though. 
um, or play one of their games, those series, any story in that world, it never ends up working for the people who are trying to make money off bioweapons. Like, that's a poor use of your stuff. Stop doing it. Never going to work out. The way they do end up killing the alien, even with another growing inside rip, it's very bargain bin Walmart Terminator with lavaing it, but that doesn't work. And then they water and explodes. Not visually exciting like the other two. And the big surprise is Android Bishop is actually a human Bishop, who I'm pretty sure they just call Bishop 2 on the credits, who is the boss of the company. And after all that, she decides to offer herself, get rid of the alien embryo inside her. That's the movie done. What a garbage ride this was. Will things get any better in the sequel coming out five years after this one? The short answer? No. But Alien Resurrection has some moments. Some things are bad. Some things are good. A lot of things are stupid, but some things are kind of fun. A lot to unpack here. So I love some of the actors here. Winona Ryder, way before she was yelling at lights in Stranger Things, an almost identical Ron Perlman role that feels exactly like his Blade 2 character. He is very typecast, but also very good in those roles. I can't say I knew Michael Wincott, but I definitely recognize his voice, and he has some nice credits to his name. But I really liked him here as the captain of the mercenary group. And Sigourney Weaver is back. Wait, what? But she died in the last one, right? Well, they don't call this resurrection for nothing. So this movie takes place 200 years after Alien 3. And the dumb, mad science folks are back at it again, making a Ripley clone that is part alien and also births a new alien. There's also the birth of just another terrible fight basketball scene. It's right on par with what we just recently discussed with the Catwoman basketball game scene. And the also very cringeworthy, which I just had ever be reminded of, park playground fight scene in the Affleck Daredevil movie with Jennifer Garner. Two Daredevil points. Not sure if I've seen the director's cut yet, but I am told it's much better and also R-rated. Point two, with the Daredevil rights going back to Marvel, please do us a favor. Save all the good that Netflix Marvel was. Bring Charlie Cox, John Bernthal, Mike Holter, Kristen Ritter, and everyone else back into the fold and continue their story. There were some amazing things in these shows, and they belong in the greater MCU officially. Especially if they want lawyer daredevil Matt Murdock to help out current Spider-Man in the third film, get him out of some legal trouble, maybe that can clear his name and re-identify that Peter Parker isn't Spider-Man and keep his secret identity and all that stuff. I genuinely forget. Well, back to the movie. <laughs> you get me talking about Spider-Man, I get all excited. Generally forgot why they were working with the military group in this movie. The mercenaries are fun and personable enough. But I, there's something with trafficking bodies for maybe alien stuff that I clearly don't didn't remember when watching. I know it's a thing now, though, so now we know why they're there. But I had no clue that was a thing happening. While Winona tries to assassinate Ripley, she's too late and the aliens are just chilling in the room with a pain button. Never good. Doesn't work in Jurassic Park. Doesn't work here. There's a lot of similarities to Jurassic Park and the Alien franchise. Just one's a little more, I'd say, less child-friendly than the other one. And I did not realize this at the time. But the shared memories thing that they talk about as an issue leads to Clone Ripley knowing Ripley things 
and the aliens knowing that their blood is acidic to kill one of their own to get the blood acid to melt the floor around them and to get the others out. So good. Not good. The aliens are still mad wet for some reason. Don't know why, but they decide to stick with that editing choice for this film as well. The alien killing a ton of people and then, you know, the guy having to grenade his own military people and hanging out. He has a salute and while he's saluting, he's kind of terrified looking around and the alien gets him right back. That action was good. Not good. They kill off the captain of the mercenary group almost immediately, who is my favorite non-Ripley character. But Perlman's mad fun here, so he helps out tremendously with the fun times in this movie. The time deadline in this is kind of cool. They're working against the clock, knowing that the ship is headed to Earth, and they should clean ship, clean house before that. Just anytime there's a, you know, do this before this, it adds another layer of stakes and drama, which is good. Swimming scene, kind of neat. But I really thought they made a hybrid shark xenomorph. It's kind of weird seeing them swim, like, for the first time and all that. You know what's not surprising? The main scientist being bad. You know, you thought all androids were bad. More so, don't trust the creepy, experimenting on live people, alien thing scientists. We do get a new synth, and it's a bit surprising with Winona being the android this time around, especially because she feels less stoic than the other androids we've met in our time but a lot of gunplay and action in this one which is a very fun time it's kind of zany and not nearly as good as the amazing aliens film they also make a alien human hybrid who kills the alien queen and i guess that's saying this was our big bad at the time but look at this new big bad thing we've made I mean, that, you know, I guess, you know, once again, trying to raise the stakes from the originals and make some new terrifying creature, which they're kind of doing with the Jurassic Parks now of what's bigger than a T-Rex, an ultra-megasonic super-hybrid T-Rex, which, okay, gets a little crazy, but we'll see. Excited for the next one to have the original three back, right? The final fight in this movie, not as exciting here, using... Ripley's own acid blood they send another one out into space but surprisingly four whole people make it out of this movie which feels wild and surprising but we'll never know what happens after this as the last two movies in this series are some prequel films so you know what time it is fast bender time baby but sadly we also have to say goodbye adieu tschüss to Ripley time but let's focus on the good here After having a dark spell with these last two films, Prometheus is loaded with talent. Fassbender, Guy Pearce, Idris Elba, Charlize Theron, just to name a few. I feel like the more you scroll down this IMDb page, you're just blown away by the talent here. A ton of people who watched this in 2012 had no idea this was an Alien franchise movie. Just some weird, deep, thought-provoking science fiction movie. And watching the beginning, that sounds about right. We have some vague, disintegrating juice that messes up some alien. I mean, you know, cool, whatever, right? We have a couple discovering some ancient runes, something that is at marginally best explained. But they get some cash money, get on along, off to find some alien stuff and things, and that's cool. So why they are going doesn't super matter to me. But we spend a ton of time with the clearly android, they're not even going to hide it this time, Michael Fassbender. And he is mad creepy. But almost worse, he's dribbling a basketball when we first meet him. I mean, bad. 
out of context, it's fine. But I can't help but immediately think of the awful basketball scene from the last movie. Is that what they brought from that movie to bring this one at one moment? That's not good. Come on, guys. They also have to go when they finally land without weapons because the scientists research people say they should. Bad decision. Awful decision. Crazy that this is accepted as a condition at all. But it wouldn't be a scary movie if it weren't for some base dumb decisions. Once they get to their spot, they find decapitated heads, gooey heating up jars, and for some crazy reason, it's like, let's grab everything in sight immediately instead of let's get the frick out of there. This is where the real fun starts. And honestly, it's not like I hate this movie. In fact, I loved all the things going on, but at times it was sensory overload. Two guys get stuck in the cave and have to spend the night, and no one else seems to be concerned for their well-being. You have Fassbender dosing one of the two scientists researchers who in this clearly not the bad guys just like the rest of the movies with the alien juice. This all leads to Frankensteining the dead alien's head with some eyes and mouth movements until it blows right up. I mean, it's tough to even focus here with all these things happening at once. But the deaths in the cave, while this time not a wet egg, an alien worm thing is exciting, opening its little flaps to the way too easily impressed stick your head in at the new alien things Guy Pierce. But you never do see where his body ends up, which leads to some super fun later on. Speaking of fun, 2020. <laughs> Just kidding, this year is awful. While Charlize Theron takes the quarantining stuff from the first movie and doubles down, straight up flamethrowing the guy who drank the alien Kool-Aid. But I didn't actually remember this part. They tease Elizabeth Shaw, our new Ripley, seemingly being infertile, so when she is alien pregnant and has to have a machine emergency C-section and it then tries to, you know, kill it off, super tense and kind of gruesome, obviously. But remember when Guy Pierce was dead but missing? When his signal appears and you think his body is like folded 12 times over and he pops right back up and starts destroying everyone in sight. I was mad nervous for Idris Elba, who is one of the least developed but most fun characters in this movie, for sure. So I guess the big surprise is the old hologram guy in the beginning is actually alive in stasis. And the whole point of this trip is to get these engineers to engineer him to be immortal sure you know bob the builder can he fix it but this engineer alien man's hell no rips are increasingly growing evil creepy android right in half and pretty much eats anyone else in the room right off camera everyone's pretty concussed or dead i like david in this to a point i like all the fascinating light show things and him trying to discover things on his own i kind of like those moments but you really never get a true reason why he turns and why the you know 180 happens in this character. Something that kind of gets worse in the sequel. I get they're trying to tease his own self-awareness and if we're doing the whole man is the monster and Frankenstein's monster thing to a degree. I get it, but I don't know. I didn't really buy it other than making it what it was to a degree through this movie just waiting because i'm i know idris isn't going to make it out unfortunately but at least he dies like a hero taking down the alien ship but then comes one of the moments that movies and tv shows alike will always be made fun of in game of thrones it was rickon running straight through and not zigzagging 
to get shot with an arrow immediately. He's such an easy target for Ramsey. This movie, it's Charlize Theron running from a spinning cylinder spaceship, but not running to the side, but constantly running in its path. And obviously, human person is not going to be faster than spinning cylindrical ship. Like, this is old school WB Roadrunner hijinks right there. Come on, awful. The end is a little messy for me too. The alien survives to hunt her down and she kind of gets this alien to meet her chest baby alien. And when two passionate alien adults meet, I guess they make a xenomorph, which is teased at the end. I mean, you would have... The last second is when you know this is an alien movie. I think there's one shot of a xenomorph on a mural in one of the caves, but there are two moments of seeing that one on the wall and seeing one at the very end as the product of these two aliens getting it on and for some reason elizabeth saves david's head and body to help her get off the planet which yeah okay she'll need some help because he does know how to spaceship and press all the different musical buttons but we're left to think these two will play a part in the sequel not just a part but a big part right this is our new ripley our new hero she's the face of the new franchise right right wrong alien covenant does not even remotely feature them well kind of at least initially not we have one of the fantastic beast leads here in katherine waterson not mads mickelson who did just happen to officially accept that role of uh, of grindelwald who had to take over for johnny depp it's not him but mads mickelson's great in everything right don't we love our hannibal stuff danny mcbride also in this who is the highlight of this film for me and Fassbender as a different robot you may also think James Franco is in this and he kind of is for like a hot second emphasis on the word hot but seriously more James Franco would have been a good thing for this movie immediately less interested without him without all the mainstay stars in this I mean you do have one of the empire actors in Jesse Smollett which probably was one of his last movie roles before all the controversy surrounding him happened but it's Danny McBride or bust pretty much I would say in this movie with Fassbender of course Fassbender is clearly the main character in this but it's like a less it's a newer less creepy Fassbender yeah I don't trust him but I do love me some Fassbender so fingers crossed he is super cool in this one So the thing that's wrong with this movie, weird logic jumps all the time. Some big neutrino blast, cannot think of Rick and Morty with making drunk neutrino bombs here. It fell and it happens, but no one sees it coming. Come on, no way. And they use like delicate sails to solar power stuff. This kind of reminds me of the ship in Attack of the Clones with Dooku and the little gelatinous looking things. And I don't know if those are supposed to be shields, but it feels like sails. And all of this leads to them setting James Franco on fire. Like, that's his whole role. He's set on fire, and he's in a little video message. And that's to give some stinks. There was a prequel movie that had everyone around a bit more, but he leaves early, this seemingly party before they all pod up, and uses the phrase, I'm not feeling well. Direct quote, he is burning up. I mean, props writers, mad props for that foreshadowing. But why else is this stuff dumb? Our captain hears Take Me Home Country Roads on the space radio and decides to go off to a brand new planet instead of the one that they vetted. Why? 
I get it. They're concerned about the pods doing, blowing up stuff and setting more people on fire, but awful decision. And our seemingly new Ripley does straight up say this is an awful decision. Pride and wanting to, you know, put his big boy leader pants on. What a Muppet. They go off to a closer planet to all die for a John Denver song. Don't get me wrong. That song is amazing. It made the trailer for this movie, Fallout 76. Neither of those are good. One of those is really bad. But man, is that song good. Take me home, country roads, to the place I belong. Beautiful. And not just a song. I mean, my sing-speaking rendition of it. American Idol, call me up if you need a fill-in for another digital season. So unlike being enticed by an alien worm or drugged, the people here are infected by just breathing, I think, and poking mushrooms. Like, they dumb, but what you gonna do? So things are a bit grosser here with back bursting and more. Maybe this stuff doesn't bug me as much as I thought it would. I mean, I don't love it. Also, these people are the worst at quarantine protocols, which is clearly something that's been discussed in a couple of these movies. Multiple people get infected blood on them, and they're running around the ship willy-nilly. One girl, who I think is the nurse, shoots the shotgun, slips on blood, loses it. She has blood on her. Someone else has blood on her. She runs to get another one, and it still doesn't work. And then comes all the aliens attacking the group. Walter, a.k.a. New Fastbender, loses his hand. But the wildest part is, I swear, some guy, the alien tail... Wipes and slaps his jaw right off. I remember seeing that and I was like, damn. (laughs) So someone comes to save them. I figured it had to be Elizabeth. And she was going to take them to some safe place and still have David set. Clearly, I didn't watch the prequel prologue short either. Where she puts him back together and they come to the alien planet. Things go wrong. He says everyone died. But like, I'm super not going to trust him here. With his long hair weirdness, and I've had long hair in the past, but this is like hermit man weirdness. Once he cuts it off, you know what's going to happen. He's going to pretend to be the other fastbender. They should have taken a page from Rick and Morty and put the red axe on one of their foreheads. Also, the flute playing each other, fingering the holes and kissing. I mean, this is some Michael on Michael action that I'm sure people need to take a cold shower after. Let us not forget... The steam and sex appeal coming off this flute innuendo scene. But back to something less hot and steamy. When the new creepy android is trying to befriend an alien, probably don't follow him down a dark stairwell. And when it's full of these wet eggs, maybe don't trust him that it's safe. And definitely don't trust him that you can totally just stare longingly into the open egg. Like these people in this movie, crazy stupid. After that Fassbender on Fassbender sensual scene, now we have a Fassbender on Fassbender fight scene. Is it better? Yeah. But I feel like you really thought Walter was the protagonist of this film to a degree. But somehow, I just knew he wasn't going to win. You know, they're teasing, oh, he's an upgraded model, and I do this, 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 and he's going to win. But you just knew what was going to happen. So, what is the winning Fassbender gonna do he's gonna cut his hand off to match the other guys and does that to fake them all out that he's the other one and he changes his voice to speak a little more mechanical and less fun and wild but i have to say 
The Xenomorph fight scene on the crane, super cool. Our final girl, Daniels, is barely hanging on. She's like attached to a zip cord and a carabiner, the strongest carabiner in the world, on this ever-moving spaceship with this crane thing. But eventually, using a claw thing to crush it, so tense and good. Yes, they make you think it's good Fassbender too, since he helps a bit. But I know he's bad. There's something where he puts the band-aid on the guy's cheek and says he's fine, but I feel like I know there's some alien stuff going on there, and it's totally not fine. And the fact that we just see a waxed, opened-up version of Shaw's body, disservice. These final girls will never be close to Ripley ever, and the franchise almost makes that clear that, yeah, they exist, but they're nothing compared to Ripley. It doesn't make sense. And when the not Danny McBride or not new quite Ripley guy dies from his alien infection, obviously you really have to believe Fassbender is the bad guy here, especially with how he longingly stares at his creation over the viewfinder. The end fight part two is also cool. Trying to lock in the creature and funnel it into a room to send it out an airlock classic alien, much like another chest burst scene in this, which is a nice callback to the first film. But sending out the airlock doesn't work just that this time, they have to impale it on some vehicle thing, too. At the last second, you know, jumping out of the way and shing right into the alien's belly guts out the airlock like the rest of them. They better hope those aliens can't survive in space, because otherwise there's a lot of aliens floating around in space. This is a nice good scene. But the big reveal, once Daniels is in her cryosleep tube and she asks Fastbender some question about building the cabin like he was going to do with James Franco... He doesn't really know what's going on, and she realizes, uh-oh, he's he's David, and he's just listening to some orchestral music, throwing some alien babies in with the colonist babies, and the movie and seemingly franchise ends. Will Disney make a sequel to this, or a sequel to give Ripley somewhat of a good send-off? We will never know. But now, you've heard my franchise looks and opinions, let's look now at these rankings. I will do the AVP movies, but I gotta watch the first three Predator movies first. But from what I'm heard, these movies will always be better than those two AVP movies. These would be miles higher than those two movies. It'd be near the bottom of any list I make. But you're here for my list. Here's what I got for you. Number six, Alien 3. Look, they killed off some amazing developed characters. The Charles Dance is gone almost immediately. At least Ripley's Ripley here, but it's just, it feels like a total departure from the series. At five, I put Resurrection, and it was tough to think Resurrection versus the two prologue movies, but in my mind, Resurrection was the equivalent of like a bad, funny Friday the 13th, but a bad, funny one is never going to beat the slightly more serious, if better developed ish movies to a degree. So, as much as I like Ron Perlman, Winona, and, you know, Ripley 2.0, it's just a little too stupid for me at times. And it's fun watch. I'll never feel the need to buy Alien Resurrection. But I, if it was a late night and I wanted something kind of dumb on, maybe I'd sub out this for Jason Goes to Manhattan or Jason Goes to Space. And really, once again, Jason Manhattan, it's really Jason hangs on a boat for a bit. Number four, Alien Covenant is what I put just a little below Prometheus. And here's my thoughts. If Alien Covenant's 4, Prometheus is 3, 
Why'd I go that route? I think because of all the actors that I like in Prometheus. Idris Elba, Charlize Theron, that alone doesn't even, you know, compare that to Hot 5 Seconds, James Franco, and Danny McBride. And look, Fastbender's in both, so that's a wash. I don't know. I feel like there's more going on in Prometheus that makes sense. Covenant feels like one dumb decision away from not being a movie. But I do love their use, of course, of Take Me Home Country Road. Classic song by John Denver. Doesn't make the movie better. Prometheus has the star power to boot. Gotta give it to Prometheus. Probably the most important one. Where did I land on Alien vs. Aliens? Initially, I when I watched the first Alien, I figured, okay, this is good. But I feel like as I watched the rest of the franchise, I appreciated Alien more for what it was. But that being said, I really liked Aliens. I gotta be in that majority of the group. It might be the actors thing as well of Sigourney Weaver, great, but she's in both, so it's a bit of a wash. And they really had, I liked Bill Paxton. I liked, you know, everything they added. The character knew in general. Michael Bean, there were just so many good things in Aliens and some of those action scenes and the cheesy dialogue. Look, if you're going to watch Alien, you're going to like Aliens. Those are the two movies you should own, buy, rewatch. That's the franchise gold standard. Just giving Aliens a little more of a leeway. But I think this movie is clearly, those two are in tier one. (laughs) Prometheus, Covenant, and even Resurrection are in a much lower tier two and Alien 3 is like tier 27. Just awful garbage. So there it is. There we have it. The Alien episode I never planned on doing, either ever or this week. But I'm glad I got it all done and eventually got around to this franchise. This really has become a slasher movie horror podcast, hasn't it? I swear we're actually taking a break for the rest of season one. Hopefully season two, if we get renewed, fingers crossed, scary stuff, I know, will be a bit more balanced. I mean... Don't expect me to make an episode on Friends or anything. Come on, you know me better than that by now, hopefully. But I'll definitely try to balance it all out a little bit more. So just think. All the way back in 2013, I know I'm thinking about it, it's a reflective time. I wasn't watching anything even remotely spooky. Just look at me now. King of the castle, king of the castle. Mom would be proud of me. So, do you like social media? I think it's just the coolest. So you should probably follow me on the social media, right? Instagram, knickknackmovies, Twitter, knickknack underscore IC. Let me know what your favorite Alien movie was. Did I put Alien or Aliens higher than I should have? Did you like one of those awful movies like Alien 3 or one of those mediocre ones like the other three? That's my opinion, but what's your opinion? And more importantly, let me know what Alien 5 would be if you could make it. Would you go into following Ripley or would you just go right through onto the prequels? I mean, you can make both, but what's your thought? What's your take on things? What's the hot take? What's the tea, right? Remember, you, time to tell all your friends and family to listen. You know what's a great gift? It's the season of giving. The gift of information of this podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts. That's a a gift you can give the whole family, family and friends. Tell them all I got this thing. It's a great thing. You should listen to it. Let them all know. Tell them all to subscribe on all their fun devices, iPads, iPhones, whatever non-Apple products that I guess people use. Throw up a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's the time to help me out. It's the season. Let's do it, folks. Well, 
That's it for me. Until next time, cinephiles. Are you not entertained? I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I don't like goodbyes. Let's just call this see you later.